So in season five of Franchise Findings, we're gonna to continue to go through some of the most popular franchises in the United States and globe. Also, we're going through some emerging franchise concepts that have anywhere from two, five, hundred locations throughout the United States growing and looking to take on the world with their franchise system. We continue to interview founders of franchises as well as franchisees. So a lot of information for you. Hope you enjoy season five of Franchise Findings. Chick-fil-A owner-operator Rob recently said this about his experience with our partner Belay. I talk about my VA to other Chick-fil-A operators because having someone that is assisting you and helping you sort your life organizes the work you're doing. My life is different because I have my Belay virtual assistant now. Rob's story could be your story and it starts with one call to Belay about their US-based virtual assistant accounting, social media, and website services. To help you get started, Belay is offering a free copy of their CEO's latest book, Rise Up and Lead Well. Click on the link in our description to learn more. Hey, Patrick here, co-founder together with my brother, Jack. I felt like we we're overdue to have a, another conversation, us two together. We had one probably a year back and Jack's been interviewing some, some franchise founders and franchise or professionals. I've been doing that, been doing franchise analysis, but we're going to be doing more and more videos and podcast episodes on how to grow your business. So if you're already an existing business owner, whether it's a franchise or not, how to grow that business in a profitable way and something that Jack and I have been hearing nonstop, whether it's from our Visa franchise clients or from the vetted biz community is just labor and, and how to get talent, how to retain talent, how to grow your business in a profitable way from, from a labor perspective. So Jack and I will have a, a little conversation of what we've done between our two companies, Vetted Biz and Visa Franchise, to grow our business from, what was it, Jack? Like pre-pandemic, we had like six employees? Pretty much, yeah, we had six before the pandemic. Yes, so six to now 34. I think it's us two and we have 34 employees. So we'll be talking about how we grew our, our business in terms of uh, headcount, as well as what we've been seeing from franchisors, franchisees, some best practices on, on the labor side. Yeah, for sure. Happy to talk about this. I know it's a recurring theme right now with all the businesses we speak with um, and sometimes our, our, our various clients where they want to know, um, you know, how difficult it will be to hire someone, right? Once they invest in a franchise uh, or they're looking at a franchise and a business and they're saying, thinking, you know, how difficult it will be to find people. So happy to talk about this and, and share our experience. Yeah, I think the key thing, looking back November, or October 2020, where we had some turnover, some people left the firm, and we started looking uh, abroad to potentially hire uh, staff. And we saw that in Argentina, where Jack and I have both spent time, and we, we speak Spanish, we saw that there was great English-speaking talent that was well-educated and at a significant difference between the, the salary of, of the same type of worker employee in the US market. And that that would allow us to grow and, and scale much faster. And I think we had one key employee, Carol, and then through her just referrals, we really built out our, our content team as well as some, some key members of the data team where just through one key employee, she referred another seven employees and that that has really helped build a big part of our business just through one employee that, that uh, kept on getting promotions and was happy and telling all her friends and members even of her church about opportunities at our firm. Yeah, definitely. That was a big, big transition. I mean, 
I think it might even be interesting too to, to mention uh, for anyone listening to this, kind of how we started. So before we we dove deep, you know, deep into expanding our team and seeing who we can get overseas, uh, we actually started off looking uh, using the the platform Upwork. So for anyone that's not familiar with Upwork, Upwork's it's a company that's been around for for a decent number of years. And what they do is, is basically it's it's a freelancer platform. So we started looking at into Upwork for very specific projects that we had of remote workers, remote freelancers. And so I think that is what got us really thinking, hey, this could work with this, you know, remote freelancer that's we had we, we hired people from all over the world, actually Ukraine, uh, Philippines. Uh, Mexico and Belarus, I mean, a number of different countries. And we had good experience. We saw that it worked. And then it was kind of a nice, you know, no commitment way for us to kind of get started and see, okay, uh, this works. Let's see if we can get someone that's actually full-time and based remotely. So I'm more on the sales, marketing, you know, content, strategic relationships. Jack's doing more finance, operations, the product. Jack, what have you found for Upwork? Like what on your side of the business is Upwork good for? And then what is it better just having actually a full-time employee solely dedicated to your side of the business? Definitely. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I found success using Upwork when looking for, I mean, I mentioned a couple countries earlier. We probably had freelancers on Upwork from probably at least 10 different countries. And we've used them for all types of work. We tried getting people to be almost not, not like, you know, extended contract freelancers where, you know, they're, they're working with us week in and week out. Other times we got people just on short-term project-based projects, short-term work. Through that experience, I would say it's worked best for very project-specific work. And the reason we came to this conclusion is that the people on Upwork in general, they are looking for project-specific work. They're freelancers. Uh, they, they, they want to do projects. There's various lengths of projects. Some, some projects can be a day, some can be a couple of weeks, others can be a couple of months. But in general, they're people that want to be freelancers. They don't necessarily want to be working for the same company you know, indefinitely. Um, I'm sure some people are open to that. But in general, for us, the success we had was finding a specialized skill set for, for a specific project that we wanted. It didn't make sense to bring in a specialist full-time to our team. You know, when, when you think about budget, not having the budget for someone like that um, and, and not having the need. So, because once the project will be done, we don't need someone with that specialized skill set. It's, it's turned out to be a great way to get someone in for someone or, or a couple of individuals in for a specific amount of time and work with them in that fashion. And then from there, you know, let them, you know, basically depart. You come in for the project, they do it, and then they go their separate way. And I think the best analogy for this is, uh, you know, if you, if you think about like how movies are, are produced. So movies are not produced by having everyone in the same company doing one movie and then they do the next movie, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think it'd be pretty boring to see the same actor, same director, same everything in every single movie. So what, what typically happens is that uh, you have different actors that come in, different lighting crews, film crews, sound crews, different directors, production agents. Everyone's different. They come in for a specific project and then they go off on their own after the project is completed. Everyone coming in with a very specialized skill set. And so with, with that analogy in mind, that's, I think that's a really good way to use Upwork. So use it like that. And then the other way, we'd use it for not for really non-specialized skill sets. So 
Um, if, if we need someone that uh, can do manual tasks, just repeated manual tasks, um, it's also very good for, for that sort of work. Yeah, and I can just think the, the site redesign of Vetted Biz, for example, having a designer that really understands development to some degree, because it's like, it's like an architect and an engineer, like the architect needs to know what's actually possible and what's not going to be a pain to, to code. And I know we've had this great designer for, I don't know, 18 months that every time we want to update something on the website, he's specific for website design and, and largely for companies in our industry. And he speaks the same language as the developers. So there's a lot less back and forth. And it seems like he plugs in nice when we have a need to basically design a different page or different section of the website, we can plug them in uh, to that project. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good, that's a great point. I mean, you know, by using, and again, right now we're kind of focusing on the Upwork, right? Part-time people, and we can talk about more full-time, but when it comes to part-time, you know, freelancers, specialized skill set, uh, yeah, having that, having that designer uh, work with us has, has been fantastic. Again, super specialized skill set. We wouldn't need him to be working full time because we just need him maybe a couple hours each week, if that. Um, pretty short, short stints. But the fact that the, the way I view Upwork is what is something that we may be doing internally that someone externally is an expert at and can do very quickly, right? And then design work is one of them where we could actually design a lot of our pages and website and whatnot. But um, it's better just to get, we found it's better been better for us just to get someone who's very, very good at this. You can do it very, very quickly and come in and out uh, as necessary. Definitely. And then, I mean, on the content side, you know, my team's now like a group of 10 people and they're working anywhere from say roughly 20 hours a week up to 50 hours a week. And, you know, there's junior staff that it's starting at, at $500 a month where they're working on uploading blog posts, making sure it's optimized for SEO so we can get more traffic to our websites. And then as there are people that get paid more money, they have more advanced tasks. But one thing that I, we, we realized as Jack's team needed more technical knowledge or people that had advanced financial skills, it was a little, it was harder to recruit for those roles. And we ended up going through a, an HR recruiting agency in Argentina. And we've had, I think, four employees through that recruiting agency, and it's been an amazing match. So maybe Jack, you could talk a little bit about the benefits of hiring direct, like say through a LinkedIn post or even through your, your current uh, employees versus going through an agency and even putting in some, some skill assessments and some assessments for the, the candidates coming through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way I view all this stuff is that it's really a, a big spectrum, right? So you have anywhere from freelancer, unskilled labor, right? You can get via Upwork, sites similar to Upwork, or we can get full, full end um, specialized skill set full time, right? Again, we're talk, talking, focusing mostly on remote since that's what we do. Yeah, for us, it's, it's in terms of people that are really full time uh, working with us. It's worked well to go direct, right? We've been able to go direct via LinkedIn uh, or through referrals, as, as you mentioned earlier with our first team member, Carol, who's, who's been super, a big, great success. And she had other friends and, and whatnot that were a good fit for us. So that works. What we, what we found though over time is that going direct, um, again, it's not for everyone. We were comfortable with it. We speak uh, Spanish, we speak these other languages. 
And so we're, we're able to do it, but, um, going direct actually worked out quite well, you know, using a site like LinkedIn, like, like, you know, people do in the U S post a job, see what, see what kind of people apply and go from there. So, uh, that worked out well for more generalists, I would say positions, more, you know, kind of regular business positions you need in every company. And then, and then for the more technical roles, we found that, um, it was very helpful to have some sort of filter in place. So again, then it's always good to go back to analogies. So in all I'd use is just kind of a recruitment firm in the U S right. There's a lot of people that look for certain role or maybe, you know, them posting the role isn't really a good posting the role themselves on the uh, platform like LinkedIn or indeed maybe isn't the best use of their time. And so they do is they go to a recruitment firm and say, Hey, here's, here's the type of, you know, position type of role that we're looking for. And, uh, can you help us, you know, publicize this and, uh, filter out candidates and do the kind of initial screening process. And so we realized that was a really good way for, for any technical role, um, just because they, they are in demand. And uh, it's a little more specialized skill set. There's so so a lot of people aren't you know don't just don't have that skill set. So we went that way, and it's it's worked out very well. Yeah, and we've even referred it to some fellows in the franchising community, or even just our, our professional and personal networks. And they've like one of our friends has hired like five plus people through that HR agency. I think there are certain markets where. Like Argentina, we've identified where there is a high level education, but the labor market's not as good that hopefully for many, many years to come, there will be people that want to work uh, for U.S. companies and are excited to work at U.S. companies, especially where you can show that there is a clear path to, to get promoted and that they're not going to be stuck in this role for like two years, three years. And they see that there's going to be uh, opportunity to grow. Yeah, it's been it's been very interesting to see the evolution of this remote work. I know, um, you know, in our, in our entrepreneurial community, we're, we're part of Entrepreneurs Organization EO, uh, and there were other entrepreneurs who were doing this pre-pandemic, but they were still far and few in between, um, and they were just kind of looked at as just doing something that's very interesting. But most people looked at it and say, "Hey, that would never work for me." And then when we were forced to do remote, we realized that actually, I mean, us in particular, we realized, hey, this would work for us. Other firms went remote and they said, ah, no, I, we really want to go back in person. And that's what they did. But for, for us, we, we realized, hey, this is actually an opportunity. And um, that's what got us you know, going down this path. And now it's opened up a lot of opportunities. I know there, there are firms even devoted to you know, hiring people. So, so we're, we're, we've been talking a little bit about Argentina, but there are other firms that and people can be hired from all over the world. It's, it's really an amazing uh, time to be an entrepreneur, be a business owner, and know that there's kind of global talent that you can tap into whenever you need if you're if you're willing to go down that path. Um, and maybe not even global, right? You can think that if you're in the U.S., you could say, all right, maybe in my specific town or my specific city, there isn't the type of talent I need. I'd like to go bigger, see what, what other people are in my state or or in my time zone in, in the U.S. or even across the whole U.S. Um, who who can I get to work remote? And it's this really, I would say this. This really powerful force has went at the back for entrepreneurs that and businesses that are able to do it. One interesting thing I learned when we were kind of diving through this was how how much the Philippines, how big a market the Philippines is for remote work. Apparently, I think it's like 20% of their GDP, which kind of blew my mind. 20% of their GDP is uh, from remote workers, which means there's a huge demand and a huge amount of companies that that are that are doing this. 
Yeah. And you brought up a good point where even within the U.S. and we have a sponsor for our podcast, Belay, where they're focused on like one of their clients is a Chick-fil-A operator and he wanted a virtual assistant. Chick For those that aren't familiar, Chick-fil-A franchises do average unit volume, average sales about $6 million. So a serious enterprise, probably 20 to 30 employees and having an assistant, you know, at the Chick-fil-A, you know, maybe probably not the most conducive place to, to focus on, on work and have like a proper desk. So being able to have a virtual assistant that speaks the same language, same culture, maybe different area of the country where it's lower cost, uh, there, there's big value add there. Uh, so there's different options, I think, going through whether they are located abroad or if maybe you want to get your feet wet with someone that speaks totally fluent English and is in the same country as you to kind of test it out and see, see what talents there, but talking to franchisees or even franchise wars, if you have members of your staff or roles that you're looking to hire for, where the, the employee is not meeting face-to-face -face with the customer and it's not required a face-to-face -face meeting with the customer, you've got to think about, does it make sense to actually hire someone that's not in this city within a 30 minute commute? And can we open this up and potentially save money for the company by looking to fill this role with, with someone that probably more qualified and is going to cost less money uh, for that role. If they're not meeting face-to-face -face with the customer and driving incremental sales through that face-to-face that -face contact, there is a possibility that a remote worker would be better than who you could get in your local marketplace. And by remote worker, you mean it could be even remote from the same city, Right, remote flexibility. from the same country, remote from anywhere. Yeah, some people, you know, whether it's childcare responsibilities and they want to be able to have a nice proper hour lunch at home and not be going back and forth. There's a lot of reasons why someone might be just more comfortable working remote or maybe coming in once a month or every other week to meet with the team, kind of like what we're doing in Argentina where our group of 25 employees down there meet together once a month. And obviously they're, they're welcome to meet more, more often, but it's once a month they like to get together and that works for them. And that's what, what they're happy with and it, it, they're productive. Yeah. H how do you see, what's the trigger for, uh, I know you mentioned the trigger for you, whether someone should be in person or remote, what's a trigger that you see Patrick, when you say, okay, I want to add someone new to my team. I'm going to look for this role. What causes you to to, to make that next step. I would say when people are getting overstressed and there's just too much juggling, when there's a smart key employee that keeps making mistakes they shouldn't be making, and then you go through what their tasks are, it's a no brainer. They can't be Superman. They have too much on their plate. So I think going through, whether it's you and you're taking too much on as the owner operator or one of your employees, and especially if that employee in the past had past success and was operating in a high capacity and nothing majorly wrongs going on in their personal life as far as you know, then that's probably a good time to start exploring. And I liked hiring people where we could take more risk as well, where maybe the role in the US would be 200%, 300% more expensive. Uh, and we can take a bet and hire that employee without being like, okay, if it doesn't work in six months, I might need to lay this person off because the cost isn't all that much higher. So we can, we can have more time to, to try to work it out and try to work out the knots in the business to get to the level 
of revenue that we need to be hitting for that product that we're selling, for example. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a good point. I, and, and I'm glad you mentioned almost kind of like the, the financial side of it, right? That's, that's something I, I always look at when adding someone to the team where it's, okay, um, do we have a work need? And then two, can the business support? Can, the, can the, the, the business engine? And that's another discussion we'll have at another time, just kind of the way we look at our numbers. I think it's a really good way uh, of looking at them, the, the model that we use. But it's can, can the business engine support adding uh, more labor dollars, right? And it's the same thing for a service-based business, same thing for uh, in-person brick and mortar, mortar business, right? It's always, it's always good to know, know what the numbers are and, and what the business can support. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. Like, I think the, the the whole personal assistant, virtual assistant, is kind of where most people can get started. Um, I think it's kind of the easiest. It's the lowest lowest threshold, right? Because at the end of the day, if they do a bad job, they're really more affecting you as a business owner, the person that's hiring them. They're not necessarily not necessarily touching outside uh, people, customers, unless they're you know kind of organizing emails and whatnot. So it's 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 a little harder for them to to mess up. Let's just say. I guess Patrick or anyone listening to this, you know, we just so you know, we, we hired our first executive assistant uh, after being in business. I believe for six years, over six years, we finally pulled the trigger and hired a virtual assistant, and it was something that we were jagging our feet on. Yeah, um, I even had people tell me that you don't have a virtual assistant; you are your own virtual assistant, and I think that's a really smart way of putting it. Uh, even then, we still didn't do it. We finally pulled the trigger. Patrick, what do you think about that whole? decision process and, and how it's been since she started? Yeah, no, I think it's been key. And um, it frees me up to do more high impact uh, work, whether it be on the creative side, content, or meeting with strategic partners, the follow up to, to, to confirm the meeting with strategic partners, podcast guests, all that my executive assistant is handling at a, at a high level. And it and really the fundamental questions how how do you value your time? And if you're making, say, 100K or you're making a quarter million dollars a year, you have to do the calculation and be like, okay, if you schedule and follow up with emails one hour a day, that's $100. Could someone do that for $15 and you then earn back that money? And oh, by the way, you don't even like doing that task. So it's, it's even more, more valuable because then it frees up some of your decision capacity to focus on other things that you like. So I think that's a key thing. And we're, we're at a vetted biz rolling out a time calculator to see how, how you value your, your time and uh, what is the worth to your time as a, as a business owner or prospective business owner. And it's really, really important as you make decisions, whether it's for your personal life or your business life. How would someone listening go through the steps of calculating their time? Just at a very broad level. The big questions are how much money would you have to get paid to accept a different job, like on an annual or hourly basis? How much money would someone have to pay you to do work the weekend to work on a Saturday? So imagine you're, you're investing in a franchise and it's above and beyond your day job. You have to understand that you're allocating another 15 hours a week to this. And that's going to be priced as a premium compared to your, your current job. And then it's just tasks that you don't like to do how much you would pay someone to do that, like laundry. So there's a few different items to go through on what the worth is to you for that set task to then calculate what makes the most sense and, and how valuable your time is for a certain task. 
Yeah, I think I think it's a really good way of looking at it. I always try to think of it for me personally, um, whether work or personal, right? What is what is my time worth? Is it better to to hire someone else? You know, for work, it's it's pretty straightforward. The calculation is there, but then there's even personal tasks where um, you know I'd rather hire out, right? I I always give the example of whether it is someone hiring a, a, a dog walking service, right? How 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 valuable is their time then? Whether someone wants to hire someone to to fix, to install a, a water filtration system in their kitchen, right? A lot of these systems you can install yourself, but again, how, how good of a handyman are you versus, you know, hiring someone on TaskRabbit, putting together furniture on Ikea, right? A lot of us can follow the instructions and do it, but again, how long would it take? So I, I, I always think about that. And when I started to assign a, a dollar value to, to my time, it just made the decision process way easier. I didn't have to think about it depending on the, what the task was. And a lot of times it's, okay, how, how valuable is my time? And, and do, does, does doing this bring me enjoyment? I think yeah. it's another thing that people, this is for both business and personal, right? Uh, I like to think about, I like to think, I like to hear what you think too, but maybe, maybe there's something I could hire out for someone else, but I like to do it. Yeah. I, I like to walk my dog. I'm not going to pay someone to do that, right? I, I'm, I'm going to go do that. Um, but there's other things I'm sure for other people, maybe some people like to, to move, move, their, move from the apartment to apartment or home to home. Um, they like to do that fix sort their of thing. car. So you have some guys that like have their muscle car and they like to fix their car or they like to build furniture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had a neighbor growing up where he had a, he had a really nice kind of sports car and he would always be out the, outside kind of washing the car, waxing it. Like it gave him enjoyment. Right. And, uh, I think it's really important to, 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 to go after those activities. You see any of this differently or the same Patrick? No, I would say pretty similar. And I think part of it's like an American uh, cultural thing where we have no issue with paying a premium for services. And we've seen that with a lot of the franchises too, that we, we work with, which outside the United States, they just wouldn't make as much money because people would do that task themselves. Where in the U S especially with millennials, a lot of the home service uh, franchises have really boomed because people don't want to install a window where maybe 30 years ago, the, the person would be able to just install a window, figure it out, um, random plumbing. So I think there's a lot that we've seen in, in our industry of analyzing franchise businesses that have benefited uh, on just the American consumer side. And I wanted to pivot a little bit wrapping up. So we've talked about remote work. Another option, again, for, especially for those key employees that it makes sense to be in person, sponsoring their visas. So Jack and I have sponsored three employees for green cards, EB2 and EB3. Process takes anywhere from one to two years. But for key employees that they want to be living in the United States, and maybe they've already been working for you for three months, six months, nine months, it's a great opportunity to retain talent, train talent on site, nurture talent. And on average, they say a lot more time working with you than an American that that's going to join your, your company tomorrow. And there's no visa tied to their, to their status, their employment status with you. So it's something that's been very positive for us. And there's all different visa categories. Consider even like the J one where you can have a, a trainee work at your company for 18 to 36 months. You're paying them generally below market rate for a J one visa because there is a big training component to that to that visa category but there's all different types of, of visas to to look at and unlock and that can really get top talent 
that you maybe you couldn't afford otherwise, but you're willing to go through the process of sponsoring uh, that employee where a lot of other companies, for whatever reason, they, they view it as way too complicated and they don't even want to pursue that option. That's a, that's a really good point that uh, everything we're talking about isn't just virtual remote based. It, it can be in person and yeah, ha- enabling people to come in and, and help your business out, help your company out uh, in person coming in from different country, depending on, you know, where you are and the type of industry you're in, a lot of times it's necessary just because the labor force just isn't there, especially with all the people that retired early during COVID, a ton of people in the, in the, the boomer generation, they saw their 401ks go up a ton. Uh, they decided, Hey, I'm just going to retire now. So, um, I've seen the numbers. I was at a conference a couple of weeks back, back in September. Uh, and basically I remember the counting, uh, firm, the, the managing partner was talking, he, he showed us this graph of, of the labor market and showing where, where trends are going. And basically uh, this this labor tightness that we're seeing now is is expected to continue just because we're not having enough workers fill in for the demand for, for, for jobs. So going these other routes could be the way to uh, enable you to get people into your company and, and uh, continue growing and not not just be relying on your local labor market. There's high unemployment somewhere, whether it's a specific area of the United States or world, and there's some arbitrage to be had. And some industries probably, you know, if you run a home care franchise and you listen to the first two thirds of today's episode, you were kind of dismissing some of the remote aspects because 95% of your labor force really needs to be in person. You're, you're providing caregiver services. Or if you run a dog grooming franchise, kind of similar thing, but thinking about arbitrage opportunities and, and, and how to really lower your labor costs, whether it's through remote work, visas. I think these are all, all things that entrepreneurs should be considering to grow their business. Definitely. Agreed. Any final thoughts, Jack, before we wrap up? Yeah, I think, I think the, the final thoughts are, uh, anyone listening to this, found this finds this interesting to really think about it and think, you know, what it is, that, that, that what we do is we always think, what is that we're doing that we don't like to do? And the next question is, is it possible to hire someone for that, right? And I, I, I think that for a lot of people, you know, starting with even a, a remote assistant, virtual assistant is, is a nice way to kind of dip your toes in the water and, uh, just kind of see how it works and see if it's something that you, that you like and, and take it from there. Yeah, well said. And I think everyone, you know, whether you have a business that has $200,000 of sales or $2 million in sales, these are all strategies that are, that are applicable pretty much across. The Definitely. Well, love any comments that anyone has. Shoot me an email, Patrick at Vetted Biz. If there's other ideas you, you want our input on for other sessions when we talk about how to grow your business profitably. For sure. Take care. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, if you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought, as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free to also drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.